Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Today, I'm bringing you Bob Thompson, CEO and the founder, editor-in-chief of CustomerThink.com, the world's largest community dedicated to customer-centric business. During this episode, we talk about his book, Hooked on Customers, and ways you can be both an altruistic company and profitable too. He keeps it real and brings up great debatable topics with well-thought-out research-based answers that will shift your mindset and intentionally pivot your actions to empower your employees and make you different from your competitors. His perspective is unique, and I'm so happy to bring his CX leadership views to my show and add value to you, my wonderful listeners. I have one request. Please subscribe to my newsletter at doingcxright.com and follow my show on Apple, Spotify, Audible, and YouTube. Leave me a review while you're at it as I read each one and your feedback is truly a gift to me. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Bob Thompson. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Thanks for having me. It's great to meet you, Stacey. Yes, you have been writing and building a community for so long and it's wonderful to put a name to a face and put it all together and bring the human element to all the words. So let me start with that. I know who you are, but tell the world, what do you do professionally? Well, uh, currently I'm running the customerthink.com online community. And so that means a number of different things. It's um, just like podcasting. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes (laughs) that is is really hard to describe, but uh, it's it's a lot of work. There's uh, we have over four thousand contributing authors. We publish three thousand or so posts every year, and um, there's just uh, there's a lot to kind of stay on top of. I get five hundred emails a day, but I love it because it's it's part of uh, a, a community that cares about customers, and so that's really how this whole thing started. I I had worked for IBM for. 16 years, and I worked for another tech firm for about three years. And so for you know a couple of decades, I was mainly in a uh, sales marketing leadership roles in the technology industry. Uh, the thing that I enjoyed the most over all that time was working with customers. And except for maybe a few months here and there when I was working in staff jobs, uh, that's what I did. And I, I just love the interaction. I love advocating for my customer and uh, helping get the kind of solutions that were going to help their business. So this notion of, uh, of customer relationships was really baked into me uh, through my experience. I, I was searching for something to do, I guess, after, after all these years in the tech industry, and I wanted to do more consulting and more um, thought leadership type of work. And uh, I, I came across this term called CRM, Customer Relationship Management. Uh, now, these days, you know, people, in fact, for quite a long time now, people associate that with technology. That wasn't really what I was thinking about. It's like, yeah, there's technology, but there is so much more to a customer relationship. And I just thought it was a fertile area 
to invest my time, try to build a business and do something that might help create better relationships. And that carried me for a few months. <laughs> and then I, what I realized is that it's such a big area and there are, there's so many facets to this topic, whether you use, whether you like CRM or customer centricity or CX, I really don't care. It doesn't make a whole lot of difference to most business people either, but there's so many different angles to it that I started reaching out to some of my colleagues in the industry, just a handful to start and saying, hey, you know, <clears throat> I don't have all the answers to this. Why don't we start an online community? And initially it was just an email-based thing. Over the years, it grew into a, a web, more web presence. Uh, and, you know, so now we, we publish a new newsletter each week and um, publish all these, these blog posts and articles. Uh, and we are currently serving you know, about two and a half million visitors a year. Hmm. Uh, but it all started from a notion that, hey, customer relationships are pretty cool. Uh, we ought to do things to make them better. We ought to, it ought to be a profitable business thing to do too. It's not just, um, it's not uh, altruistic in the sense of customers win, you lose. You know, it should be a win-win ideally. Uh, and it's just grown and grown over the years. Um, so uh, that's what I do and uh, that's where it started. I love, I call it the power of intention. The intention to do good, the intention to build a community, the intention of thought leadership. It's not by accident. And it's a perfect time to say this because CX Day is coming next week. And that's an intention in these companies. And you know, in small companies, big companies, wherever, it's an intention to do all this. And when there's passion behind it, look what happens. Yeah, there's, you know, that that to me is probably the single most important thing is that, uh, and especially at senior levels, that if you don't have the passion, you don't, uh, if you don't truly believe it, it's important that you're going to put your energy behind it. Not much is going to happen. And in my experience and in a lot of the research I've done, we, we've done, done tons of research with our community over the years, and we have lots of reports that we put out. But, you know, it all points back to having a leadership and a culture that really does care about customers. And then they line up their practices, their metrics, and, you know, how they reward people. All of it is in support of that strategy. Now, if you don't start with that, and you, you're trying to convince senior leaders that it is important to care about customers and it's not the way they're wired, it's really a tough road. It really is. So uh, it's not an impossible journey, but uh, it's much harder for companies that have been used to operating with a different uh, sort of paradigm. So you talk a lot about being hooked on customers, almost like an addiction hooked. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Well, think about what the term hooked means. You know, it, it does mean addicted. And I had a few people kind of question that uh, terminology, uh, and rightly so. The way I look at it is that, uh, think, let's turn it around. What does it mean for a customer to be hooked on a business? It's called customer loyalty, right? You know, you want, in our dreams, we would like all of our customers to say, you know, you guys are so amazing. I'm never going to do business with anybody else. I feel that way about a few brands, you know, Trader Joe's, Southwest Airlines. You know, these are brands everybody likes to talk about. I have some local companies that I, I really enjoy doing business with. So I am hooked on them, right? I'm loyal to them. 
So I turned that around. I was thinking about what to title my book. And uh, I said, you know, really what I learned fairly early on, this book was came out of uh, uh, almost 10 years of research, is that if you want customers to be hooked on you, you've got to be hooked on them. It's like, you know, addicted to them. And it's not a one-way street. And so uh, the, the research was based initially on observation. I just, you know, as I wrote articles and talked to lots of people over the years, it's like, well, um, what are some of the things that companies that have very loyal customers do, starting with, you know, listening to them? You know, it's a perhaps the most obvious trait, something the CX industry has embraced. Uh, so, you know, you listen to customers. That's one way to be hooked on them. Uh, but there's a lot more to it. The other habits, that, that's number one, are to, to think, to use analytics, to make fact-based decisions based on customer data, when that makes sense, uh, to empower employees, to create, to, to basically a way of saying to innovate and, uh, and to delight. Those last two are probably the most controversial because uh, I think you know, there, there's definitely benefits to be had for a lot of companies for doing the basics fixing problems, improving processes and the like. But the, what, I, what I found in, in my initial research and then just recently in the last couple of years is that the top performing CX brands put more emphasis on um, creating these moments, these uh, call it delight if you want, moments that matter, but they're, they're trying to stand out in their customers' minds and emotions. So they're doing things differently, they're innovating, and they're also trying to, to find ways to, um, to, to capture that emotional spark. So not just doing 100% of the time exactly what the customer asks you to do, but looking for ways to say, oh, that was great, and do it in a way that's profitable. So the biggest complaint I've got over the years is like, well, you know, delight, uh, that doesn't work because you just can't delight people all the time. <laughs> and to that, and I've defended it quite a bit, and I said, you know, it doesn't make any sense to delight people all the time because then it's expected, then it's not delight anymore. So it is a tricky proposition, but uh, there's a, tons of research uh, outside of what I've done that backs up this notion of trying to stand out. Having said all of that, my, uh, my perspective is that it, it, you have to get some of the basics done first. Hmm. It, it doesn't really you know, help to Try to delight your customers when you're not answering the phones <laughs> and doing doing basic things. So a lot of companies are still trying to solve these basic problems and uh, never quite get to these more advanced things. You are 100% speaking my language in getting the basics right. Forget about all the sophisticated platforms and ways to measure and predictive modeling, like, yes, that's good. You need that one day. <laughs> or if you're already doing CX well, then yes, get to that. But if you're just starting out or you're just, I like to call crawl, walk, run, and you're just crawling or slowly walking, yes, pick up the phone and respond and do the yeah. basics. You're, you're right. Why is that so hard? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the stuff I've seen over the years just uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, I remember somebody, uh, some conferences at one time, they called it calcification, that companies get kind of stuck in the way, here's, here's how we do business. And I have to say, you know, IBM had a culture that uh, preached being um, customer centric, but 
it was a also a company that was very inwardly focused. And those two were kind of in conflict. And it, uh, it reached ahead, you know, toward the end of my tenure there when we had a new CEO come in, Lou Gerstner. And he tried his best to dismantle some of these, uh, you know, old ways of thinking uh, and get more in touch with customers. But, um, you know, IBM was a very successful firm. And I think a lot of times this calcification sets in not from failure, but from success. Hey, this is working. We're making money. Mm. I don't understand why we have to do things differently just because, you know, Trader Joe's is doing it. Who cares? And, and I get that. I run my own business and I don't, I, I can't say that I adhere to every single practice that we've researched either. You know, company, leaders have to make choices about what to do and what not to do. But I think this um, the the core issue is that what we've done is is working or has worked, and so why change? And change is is always hard in an organization. That's the best answer I've heard. It really makes sense. If it's not broken, don't fix it. But we know the reality that competitors are not working that way. And they're not differentiating based on price. So it's going to catch up no matter what yeah. it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, one of the things we've explored in, in recent years is, is um, and I, had, I, got, I was a little bit disappointed in the results here because my hypothesis was that uh, leading brands did a, uh, a, a significantly better job in a statistical sense. They did a significantly better job in monitoring their position versus competitors. Uh, and I got kind of mixed results to that. It wasn't very conclusive. My, my theory was, and still is, is that, you know, you can get better. I mean, I, one of the things I enjoy doing is playing tennis, right? So uh, I, I'm not very good these days. I'm getting a little old uh, to uh, play with some of the young guys, but I still love playing tennis. But imagine that you're, you know, the, the the goal of tennis, like any sport, is you're trying to win matches, right? So, you know, if you're not winning against people that you want to win against, you need to get better. If you keep getting a little bit better, going, taking lessons and practicing, and you get you get better, but your competitors are also doing those th same things, there's no change in position. So my theory is that you know you have to pay attention to your competitors. It's not just your customers that matter. And if if you see your competitors basically matching you, which is what Forrester Research has found, this sort of lockstep sort of progress, there's no uh, change in position, competitive position, and and that's what senior executives say they want. It's like we want to be better than those other guys. Well, just getting a little bit better, you know, it's you don't want to fall behind, but you're not getting ahead by doing that. And that's that's where um, uh, thinking more clearly about how we're truly differentiated. So, yeah, we want to get a little bit better, you know, stop uh, stupid processes and listen to customers, fix problems, fix problems, all that. It's all good. But, you know, it's hard for me to see how, you know, Vons is different from Ralph's is different from most supermarkets. They're all kind of the same. So if they're local, you go shop there. But my wife and I drive 20 minutes to go shop at Trader Joe's. And it's Me not too. because Me too. They're, they're, they're cheap. I mean, they're affordable. It's decent pricing, but I, I know it's not the cheapest deal and it's inconvenient. So I, I use that as an example to say, you know, top brands 
yeah, they get the basics right, but they're trying to stand out as well. I shared this on another episode, but I have to say it again because you brought up Trader Joe's and I honestly get... I'm such a diehard Trader Joe's. And one, it's a dream come true, by the way, for a brand, A, that we're talking about them. But two, if you go on Facebook, there are tons of communities of Facebook fans, not the company-driven community, but people like you and I talking about the favorite products they just bought today and recipes. What a dream come true for a brand. Right. And, and this was something that um, and I was slightly surprised by this. You know, we, we did some formal research a couple of years ago, and I want to make sure I read the conclusion uh, accurately here. Uh, so that we came up with five customer experience practices. So acting on feedback was one of them. Uh, journey mapping was another. Committed senior executives, business case, those were all statistically important. It separated those that were, we call them developing. They were making some progress, but they couldn't quantify it. They didn't, they didn't get to the point where they said, yeah, we're seeing an ROI, we're seeing competitive differentiation. That category we called winning, right? So you're doing what senior executives want. The last one was have a commonly understood brand vision and promise that guides the CX strategy. And so this gets back to, you know, something you talked about, you know, what is your intent? You know, what is your purpose? I think is what you're getting at. It's like, why are we here? Uh, we're here to sell widgets. Are we here to make lives better? Uh, now, Trader Joe's is uh, very uh, camera shy. They, they don't like to be interviewed. It's hard to really, most of what I've learned about them is from my own experiences of talking to other people. But it, you can see their brand purpose in how all their people act, the kind of products they, they stock, the way they behave. And they didn't sit around and say, what's our CX strategy? They had a reason, they had a, a purpose for their brand that really, it's like, we, we want to be different. We want to be better. And I think that some companies lack that first piece. And it's, it is important, at least according to our research, that you... You figure that out. And uh, I, I talked to some uh, some companies during this research that said, you know, we actually, we were trying to build a CX strategy and we realized we don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but you know, what what is our purpose? And they, they took a lot of time out to really think that through. And then really flowing that into a CX strategy made a whole lot more sense. Mm. So a lot of, we both agree Trader Joe's is doing CX right. Part of that, and I also interviewed some employees there. And part of it is because the leadership and management empower their people and they're fully engaged. So on that note, what do you feel, what advice do you have to companies to drive employee engagement? Yeah, that's a, uh, first of all, the whole term is uh, somewhat vague and confusing. <laughs> I'm not sure I can give you something, any one thing. Um, if you, you know, we, I talked earlier about, you know, there's some companies that you can just tell they really care about their customers. And I put Trader Joe's and Southwest and, you know, leading brands like that, you can just feel it. 
And I think the same is true of how employees are treated. You know, platitudes only go so far. So it, it is a complex topic. I remember I wrote about it quite a bit in my book. It's one of the five habits, you know, empowering employees. And I use the term empower rather than engagement for an important reason, I think, which is it's not just about job satisfaction. I don't agree. And, you know, we, I'd be happy to debate this with you as well. I, I don't agree with those who say, you know, if you just have happy employees, then everything else is going to be great. Customers are going to love you. You know, business is going to prosper. That's not my experience um, in the working world. Uh, the research actually doesn't back that up either. They're really interrelated things. Empo engaged employees do help uh, Im improve customer satisfaction. You can see at least a, um, a correlation there, and, and in some cases, uh, a causal relationship. But the reverse is also true, that in the right culture that employees feel better about their work when their customers are happy. It's not a, a linear relationship. In fact, the, the, the one bit of research I, I, I've leaned on quite a bit in my book and elsewhere is that when this has been studied very scientifically, they found that they're interrelated. It's a two-way kind of causation. So I'm not a big fan of this, you know, what's come first sort of thing. And I, I know that if you talk to certain uh, business leaders, they will tell you, Oh, the employees come first, including Southwest. And I suspect Trader Joe's might say the same thing. Uh, and I, I actually interviewed um, somebody at a tech firm who I thought was, it was kind of odd that everything that they espoused, you know, officially was about their customer first agenda. I don't remember their exact term, but, but like we care about customers and they supported that with metrics and all kinds of things. But then their, their CEO would say, well, no, our customers come first. I said, well, I, I don't get it. So which, which is it? <laughs> and he gave me a, the best answer, I think, and I think this, this makes sense for, for most companies, is that at a strategic level, show me one company, and I'm not talking about VC startups that they're spending their investors' money, but show me one viable, long-term, successful company that gets revenue from their employees. I, I haven't seen one. You know, there's still, customers are still the source of our success long-term. And so I, I make no apologies for saying I am all about being customer-centric, but not to the point of saying, well, employees don't matter and the stakeholders, the shareholders don't matter. You know, they, they all matter. But what is your guiding principle? Are you going to drive your success by delivering more and better value to your customers? Then how are you going to do that? So back to what this, uh, this, the CEO told me, he says, you know, look, here's the thing. The, the customer's first mantra is, is really our, our corporate strategy. But operationally, to execute against that strategy, we have to take care of our employees. But there is a, there's a directionality to what you're doing. It's like, it's not just, you know, pay them more money and let them do whatever the hell they want. There's still... The mission is to deliver value to customers. So they don't lose sight of that, that, yeah, we want our employees to be happy, productive, engaged, whatever you want to use the term, but we're empowering them to execute on our corporate strategy, which is still customer value, customer experience. Uh, so I, I think that sometimes we take at face value things that CEOs say, you know, because it uh, sounds good to their employees or maybe it, whoever their audience is. But I think the reality is that, you know, Southwest wouldn't be successful if they just said, well, let's just, what do we have to do here to make 
happy customer, happy employees. Well, let's just do that, and then somehow the planes will fly and the customers will be happy. No, they didn't do that. Study the history. They did not do that. <laughs> Neither did Trader Joe's. So strategically, I still feel that, that uh, focusing on your customers and then driving strategy from there is the right way to go about it, but it shouldn't be at the expense of uh, employees or other stakeholders. I love your views. I love that you're speaking up differently and and that's good. You know, you're everybody has an opinion on this and there's not a hundred percent right or wrong, but certainly a lot of experiences that can guide your decision making. And so it sounds like I know the answer to you, what you simply said before, a very controversial topic is do you link NPS scores and CSAT scores to employee <laughs> pay? That is very controversial, different perspectives. So it sounds like you're saying, no, don't do that. I, I wouldn't say that, no. Um, th this is a tricky area, it definitely is. And I, I've poked around at it a number of times over the years. So I could argue it both ways. You know, I, I'm, um, I'm an analyst, so I can, I can find data to support either position. <laughs> yes. But my take on it, first of all, Let's look at uh, how businesses are run, all right? Let's be practical for a second. So I, I, I've read some commentary recently uh, in our community and elsewhere that say, well, you know, you just shouldn't, you shouldn't pay people for NPS improvements or whatever the metric is. And, uh, you know, I, I'll come back to why I think that may be true in some cases, but I also say, well, all right, so you shouldn't pay salespeople for selling either, you shouldn't pay customer service people for solving cases either. You shouldn't pay the CFO for managing cash either, you know, because those can be gamed, right? Any metric can be gamed. And I haven't come from, uh, you know, part of my career at IBM was in sales. I can tell you gaming is inherent in every single job in a, in a, in a corporation. You can fudge the numbers and you can chase the number instead of what the number was supposed to represent. That's the argument against, you know, connecting it to MPS. Like, well, you know, they're just going to game it and that's going to be the goal instead of actual happy customers. And I get that. It's like, okay, so let's get rid of all the other metrics that are gamed. And, you know, I just think it, uh, and I, and I've, I, I found examples uh, over the years where it's done poorly and examples where it's done well. And I can tell you that top brands figure out, A, that you can actually pay uh, in, a, in a reasonable way, in a, in a moderate way, you know, so that you're not putting an over-reliance on one metric. Like if your score goes down, you know, you're fired or you're getting a big bonus if it goes up. It's tricky though, and not, not a lot of companies are at, adept at doing it right. So there, that's where the, I think the uh, commentary is like, well, then just nobody should do it. It's like, well, all right, well, look, I can give you a dozen examples of companies who are doing it. It didn't screw them up. People do like to get rewarded for uh, doing a good job. And you know what? They do manage the gaming uh, problem well. Now, having said all that, I think there's also a good argument to be made to, uh, to consider other metrics, other ways to reward people, uh, including things like uh, and, and I don't, I don't know uh, if there's any formal research on this, but I think it makes sense to say, well, instead of improving scores, let's let's have a um, 
let's pay people for resolving customer complaints or customer incidents. You know, can we reward the activities that we want people to do as opposed to keeping them so focused on the number that it encourages, you know, weird, weird behavior? I think there's an argument for that. I know some companies have had some success with that. Uh, some of my colleagues have argued that's a better way of doing it, and they may be right. Yeah. I just don't agree that you just throw out the idea of paying on a, on a metric just because it, it can be done poorly. Like, why not do it better? Uh, it, make it part of the mix. You know, this whole idea of a balanced scorecard is you, it isn't all dependent on one metric. And I can say that because I've managed my business this way for years. Um, and when I was at IBM, we, we had bonuses based on a number of different things. And it, it helped to kind of uh, moderate the, the influence of any one thing. So um, it's a very nuanced and I think uh, a bit of a controversy controversial subject. And uh, I just say, I think you can do it right if you know what you're doing. We could spend the whole episode on this topic, but we have come <laughs> to the end. So I want to finish off by saying two things. And this is uh, short answers. One, if I had a ton of CEOs and leaders in my room right now, and you could tell them one thing, one takeaway, what would it be? Well, there's no, there's no question in my mind uh, what it is. We found this through um, tons of research over the years. It's, it's setting a good example, personally, is the single most important thing. Call it walking the talk, if you like. It's, um, you know, if you say something's important, but what you do says it's, you know, maybe not so important, yeah, you ought to listen to customers. But, you know, I have no time for customer meetings because I got to, you know, deal with, employees and with the board and on and on it goes, people pick up on all of these cues. And so do you need to answer the phones? Well, maybe occasionally it would help if you spend a little time as a CEO in the, shoe, in the shoes or the seats of uh, people answering the phones or going on calls and whatnot. That's a trait that I've seen a number of successful CEOs employ. But, you know, whatever you espouse as, um, you know, we want to deliver a great customer experience and we're listening and we're doing all this stuff, fine. Find some ways to really illustrate that in your own personal behavior. And uh, there's, um, it's, it's, it's the single biggest differentiator between top performing CX programs and those that are not performing very well. Consistency is everything and living your truth is everything. Yep. Finally, last question. If you could go back in time to your younger self, let's say 20-year-old Bob, well, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell your younger self? Oh, that's, that's really a tough question. I, I'm, you know, I think a lot of life is about you know, what you learn as you go. I'm not sure I could, I, have, I could answer your question about my 20-year-old self, but I would say, um, you know, what I've learned over the last 25 years or so uh, is uh, be thoughtful about what you commit to. Be really willing and able to execute as flawlessly as you can. You know, it's the expression I've heard I, I think makes a lot of sense is put all your wood behind one arrowhead. And the idea here is to be focused, right? It's, so when I think back to some of the, what I think were mistakes, what cost me money, cost me time, it's trying to do too many things. So there's a balance between innovation and trying things. 
So I, I'm not completely regretful of these, uh, these failures or, or mistakes. But uh, what I've learned to do over the last maybe 10 years or so is to really think about, okay, well, what if this works? <laughs> it's great to try something. What if this works? Am I prepared to really execute against it flawlessly for a long period of time? You know, you have to be ready to really, you know, again, put your wood, put the wood behind that arrowhead and be focused and, and diligent. And I, I think if I had thought about that a bit more, there's a few things I would have said, well, it was fun to try that, but no, I, I don't think I can execute that one well. I'm going to drop it. Uh, as opposed to sort of letting them flounder along and then having to, to stop doing some things. So bottom line, bottom line is that staying focused allows you to deliver on the promise. That's that's right. And, you know, going back to um, just my observations and research over the year that, you know, you don't see Trader Joe's saying, you know, Ralph's has got a bigger selection of fresh fish. We should do that. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they'll, they'll bring in fresh fish. I wouldn't mind if they did. But the point is that they, they have picked some things that they do well and they just, they execute just great. And I think Southwest is another good example. Sorry to use that one again. You know, they don't give boarding passes and they, there's a long list of things they don't do, but what they do, they do really well. And so this is what I mean by being focused, having a brand promise and you just, you just deliver it relentlessly. Yes. Uh, Trying to please everybody just doesn't work. Well, we could have spent a whole nother hour then on that topic of Amazon because that's not as focused, (laughs) but we're not going to do that today. I'm so happy to have you on my show and I know people are going to want to find you, which I'll include in the show notes, but what's the best? Is it LinkedIn, a website? Where would you recommend? Well, come visit us at customerthink.com. There's obviously a lot of content there. You can sign up for a newsletter. We even have a, um, you know, to encourage people to sign up and join our new newsletter list, we have a free ebook that we offer people on the top five habits of successful CX programs. Uh, so that's the best way. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. And uh, you can always email me at bob at customerthink.com. So uh, if you want to find me, I'm easy to find. Well, thank you again so much for your time and your wisdom and your passion here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk with you. And thank you for being a great contributor to our community with your blogging. And, you know, we need your energy. We need your insights and um, discussion. So um, thank you. keep doing it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.